I'm going to go ahead and come back down here. Quickest sermon ever. Done. Grab some water. I tell you, the, we're in a series right now called Deeper. And we've been talking about the New Testament church and the book of Acts and, and how they went deeper in so many different things in their life. They just kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And it was this marvelous thing to witness and to behold. Right? It, it's, it's not long. It's 50 days or so and when it really began with Pentecost. But it was 50 days after the crucifixion of Christ, just after his ascension, which was 40 days after his resurrection. And now this body of believers that just started with this small group of followers, 120 roughly, and now all of a sudden it just keeps growing and growing and growing. And the church, they didn't have all the advantages that we depend on today, all the ministries that we depend on today. That's one of the things that blows me away about it, right? They, they didn't have the, the big budgets. They didn't have pastors with any credentials whatsoever, but they just were people of faith. Most of the preaching ministers had arrest records, right? You think about it like that? You guys checked mine to make sure I didn't have one. Seriously. They're like, we need all your information, social security number, credit card numbers, all of your addresses since you were three years old, right? And they checked it. I'm like, okay, you're clear. I'm like, okay. I mean, here are guys who had probably been in prison at some point, especially probably for their faith. The, the church didn't have all the stuff that we rely on today, and yet God was doing a marvelous work. Despite their lack of training, God used very simple people, farmers and merchants, very simple people to build his church. You see it over and over again. He, he used people like Peter and John who led in a world-changing mission. They led in a world-changing mission. Don't you desire to be a part of something that is world-changing? Well, here's the good news. You are if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. That we get to play a role, a part in that. Throughout history, God did that very thing. He used very simple people who did not think that they were qualified to do wonderful and marvelous things. Wonderful and marvelous things. Now, we're jumping in Acts chapter 4 today. Acts chapter 4, but let me go ahead and tell you the first three chapters... Um, have been just astounding to think about all that unfolded in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 3. But they're also somewhat tame compared to what begins happening in Acts chapter 4. Right? Up to Acts chapter 3, the, the church is growing and doing these wonderful things, but the outsiders, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they've kind of left these individuals somewhat alone, like they haven't messed with them too much, but in Acts chapter 4, you start seeing them come in and mess with these individuals, mess with the church in a way that we really, really we hadn't seen prior. 
So in Acts chapter 4, we, it brings insights into the passions and the principles that guided these people's lives, right? If, if, if they, were, they were leading, if Peter and John and others are leading this world-changing mission, don't you want to know the principles that guided their lives? Don't you want to know the passions that led and dictated the things that they were doing and speaking about every single moment of their lives, And so that's really what it does because the church was giving birth to so many different things. So when Jesus Christ gave his life, the church, because of what he did in the New Testament church, these people were saying, we're committed, we're devoted to him. That church ended up giving birth. You need to think of it this way. It started giving birth to so many different things that were not normal in society. I mean, a, just nutty kindness. Hey, I, you know, you got a need, I'm meeting it for you. You don't even know me. It's okay. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Doesn't make any sense to people, right? The compassion that they were having for one another, the fellowship was intense. Like people think that they were just kind of showing up when they want to show up. The, the church in the New Testament, man, they were serious about their faith. And if you weren't, they would come and hold you accountable. Wait a second. Because it was literally a fabric of your life. It wasn't a fabric of Sunday. It was a fabric of your life. And so they would come and they were like, wait a second, you're, you're getting off track here. And they'd hold you accountable because they wanted to worship together with you and to be a part of that ministry with one another. And in Acts chapter 4, you start seeing some new things unfold because the people who were watching all this from afar, they started getting worried and they started saying, okay, wait a second here. We, we got to put a stop to this. Like, here's a lame man, Acts chapter 3, he just got healed, and everybody knew this guy. It's not, not like, this was not a guy that maybe you've never seen before. This was a guy, remember Frank from last week? This was a guy everybody knew. And so everybody saw him and said, hold up. This is getting serious. This is going to mess up everything else in our structure and our power system, power system and everything else that we have being arranged here in terms of religious leadership. Something's taking place here. And so they jump into the middle of this. And in Acts chapter 4, the church starts to get a really strong dose, a really strong serving of trouble and hardship and temptation and trials and all of these other things. That's what ends up happening. It tells us in verse 1 and following, Acts 4, verse 1 and following, it says, as, And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Right? And it tells that they hadn't seen anything that they had done wrong yet. But here's the reason that they came up to them. Because they, in verse 2, it tells us that they were greatly annoyed. They, they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they're putting their hands up. Hold up. But that's what they're teaching. And so the people around them are greatly annoyed. And so what do they do? Because they're annoyed. Now, I've yet, I know in America, you can't arrest someone simply because you're annoyed with them. Otherwise, all of my children would be in prison right now. Do I hear praise God? <laughs> right? 
But they're annoyed, and now all of a sudden, what's happening is they get arrested because these people are annoyed because of the message that they're sharing, and they're starting to see what? They're starting to see a threat. So they arrested them, put them uh, into custody, into prison until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Peter and John stand before the Jewish high council to defend themselves. They couldn't deny or disprove anything that they had been saying, and so then they end up being released. Before I go any further, I think here's the question. Why? One of, this is what we're going to learn and discover. Why is the gospel to so many so offensive? I mean, here's what they had on them. You're annoying me, so they arrested them. I mean, I don't, I don't want to get too political, but isn't that what we have happening today? If you annoy someone too much by saying something that they disagree with, they're going to get in trouble. Right? The, the gospel was so offensive. That's what's happening here. They were annoyed with them, and so as a result, they arrested them. Why is the gospel so offensive? I'm going to tell you this as directly and straightforward as I can. Here's the reason the gospel is offensive. The gospel is offensive because the gospel means that we are to be confronted in our sin. And people don't like that. You can't tell me I'm wrong. That's what they were probably processing. No, they can't share all this. It's going to hurt the structure that we've already built. We need to ask ourselves, why is the gospel so offensive? Because, listen, it is offensive to many people. Once they hear the message, right, the guy on the plane, he started it a different way, like his shoulders were back, and then all of a sudden he changed postures when he recognized the love that I had for him. You see it over and over again. Why is the gospel offensive? Well, when you understand what the good news, the bread and the blood of Christ, what they really mean, they require that you be confronted by your sin. That means you have to acknowledge that maybe, yeah, I've done some things that maybe weren't right. I've been arrogant. I've been prideful. I've approached people the wrong way. I haven't been receptive and and really learning and eager to learn constantly as the scripture tells me I'm to be. But we need it really when you confront your sin, you're also confronting and acknowledging your own brokenness. And some of us don't like to say, you know what, I've I've messed up in life. I've got sins in my life. But you're required to acknowledge your own brokenness. But here's a great way to look at it. When we fail to acknowledge our own brokenness, we lose the beauty of the message and life of Jesus. When we fail to acknowledge our own brokenness, we lose the beauty of the message and life of Jesus. 
I want, I'll come back to Acts 4, but Galatians chapter 5. I recently led a Bible study, just a quick devotional thought and staff on Galatians chapter 5. I love the book of Galatians. Um, and uh, Galatians chapter 5 is a wonderful passage for us to be able to look at. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse um, 16 and following, really just 16 through 19, 16 through 18, um, it speaks about the need to walk according to the Spirit. And it tells us that we're either going to walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit. And many of us in our own sin, we're walking by the flesh rather than by the Spirit. And so we have to consider this because what it's letting us know is that walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit, you know what? In Galatians 5, it tells us in 16, 17, 18, 19, it tells us that they are in conflict with one another. They're in conflict with one another. You can't walk by the Spirit and also walk by the flesh. You can't do that. It's one or the other. They're in conflict with the other. And so knowing this, knowing that you have been convicted, knowing that you are broken, knowing that you have sin, it's actually a gift because to know that you're weak is not a bad thing if you know where you can also then gain strength, which is through Jesus. And the church must understand that the message of Jesus cannot be altered. Because when you altered the message of Jesus to say, well, we're all okay and we can all kind of get to one place. That's another thing that I've heard in the last week. Someone, as I'm having a conversation in a retail store, and uh, I, I just love, like if you see me out and about, like just point out people who you think need to hear about Jesus. I just want to go talk to them, right? Because all of a sudden I'm hearing, like, well, I kind of just think everybody's going to be in, in a heaven one day. In a heaven one day. Like, what does that even mean? I didn't say it that crassly, but I'm thinking that. And I said, have you ever even really thought about it? Well, I guess not. I just know what everybody else has told me. Now, we need to process that we can't change the message to say, well, it's, everybody's pretty good and we're all going to end up the same place. When you alter the message of Jesus, you are losing the beauty in the, of the message and the life of Jesus. We must not try to make the message of Jesus more palatable for others by not speaking of sin. And so that's one of the things that we've got to recognize. As we're looking at this passage in Acts chapter 4, the message, the, the things that were happening, it was really offensive to those people in leadership, those religious leaders even. They didn't like what was happening. And why, you have to ask yourself, why was it so offensive? Well, it was sharing a different message. And it, they made their living based on people doing certain things. <laughs> and that did not include professing faith in Jesus Christ. And so they end up arresting them. And it's one of the things that you find so easily in Acts chapter 4 as we start looking at this passage. One of the things that we're going to see over and over is that these followers of Jesus, Peter, John, others, all of them, they were incredibly faithful. It's one of the characteristics that we learn that we need to grow from. They were faithful even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of difficulty and hardship, right? They were just faithful. Followers of Jesus are faithful, when Peter and John healed the beggar by the beautiful gate, they attracted more than a little bit of attention. This crowd formed, and Peter began to preach, and that's when the religious elite showed up along with the temple guard and said, hey, you're annoying us. Now, here's what I love about this passage. At the very beginning of chapter 4, it says they were speaking to the people, 
The priest, the captain of the temple guard, came. They were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and they were proclaiming about Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And so they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. So they just got drug out as they're speaking about Jesus. This is so good. Get ready for this. They just got drug out because they're preaching and teaching about the greatness of Jesus Christ. And verse 4, this is after they just took them away. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Even though they had just been drug out, those who had heard the truth, the message about Jesus Christ, still professed faith in who he was. Being taken into custody, seeing them taken to prison, it didn't seem to worry them. Why? Because they heard truth. Isn't that amazing? When so often we're so consumed with looking at other people around us and seeing what the world's response is to them to determine then what we will then do. Well, they didn't have that concern of looking at what they were doing, the world was doing to them, arresting them or or becoming annoyed with them. They just heard truth, they responded to truth, and they placed their faith in Jesus. And sometimes we need to be less concerned about the response of a broken world and more concerned about a faithful Jesus and his response in our own life. What are you most concerned about in the way that you live? People or God? Because these guys heard truth and they, were, they just wanted to respond to God. They didn't care about the response of the people. They were faithful. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem. This is verse 5 and following. Verse 6, it says um, that all of a sudden what you have is you have Caiaphas, you have others who are all coming, the high priestly family, and they had sent, and when they had sent or had set them in the midst, their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? They're wanting to know by what power they healed this man. So Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this right here is why I say, um, I think in churches today, we just need good, faithful preaching. That's all we need. Because Holy Spirit does everything else. Prime example. Prime example. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed... Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I mean, Peter even summed up the question really well in verse 8 and 9. He says, listen, with a question. It says, hey, rulers, elders, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed? We've been kind to someone, and now you're annoyed with us. But it's powerful to recognize that here, one of the things that we discover in verse 10 is that followers of Jesus, this is what Peter did, followers of Jesus speak about the name of Jesus. Followers of Jesus speak about the name of Jesus. 
It's similar to the, the message last week where we, re- we learned very quickly that they weren't taking credit for any good thing that had been done. They gave all credit to God. But followers of Jesus speak about the name of Jesus, and they were speaking about the name of Jesus. In his day of court, Peter says, hey, let me tell you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the name of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus is never intended to be ambiguous. It's never intended to be muddied with any other message. It's very clear that it's through Christ alone that there is salvation and healing. If you are hurting in life, if you're miserable, if you're anxious, if you're worrying all the time and you don't know where to go, I am telling you now there is nowhere to find the answer outside the name of Jesus Christ. The world for thousands of years has found answers other places over and over and over and over again. And you know what they keep having to do? Change their answer to something different that they think is working in that time period. But the one message that has never altered or changed is the message of Jesus Christ. When people don't understand who Jesus really is, I don't get upset with them. I just get sad because I so badly want them to know the love that Christ has for them. That's why it's, it's wonderful. This is really letting us know that it's only through Christ alone. This month, it's celebrating Reformation, 500 years of the Reformation movement, right? Happened in the 16th century. You all understand what was taking place, right? You've heard of people like Calvin. <laughs> Hopefully you've heard of someone like that. Or maybe Martin Luther. And what had been taking place was these individuals who, are in the, who were in the Roman Catholic Church, they started to be convicted that all the different practices and all the different rituals that they were having, were, it was distracting them from really placing faith in Jesus Christ. The movement was away from being Christ only. And so they started to stand up against that. And it's something that we call the Reformation. It's important for us to know about the Reformation because that's why we get to be doing what we're doing right now. People started to stand up and say, wait a second, it's about faith only through Jesus Christ. Even those people who were amidst and were the religious leaders started to recognize that something was off-centered. It was not correct. And so the Reformation was a major time of reorienting the church but also reorienting the believer on Jesus Christ. And so here, here, a couple of things with the Reformation I want to tell you very, very quickly because I I think it's good for you to know about it. One one of the things they said, as I just mentioned before, is it was sola, which means sola is only, so it's only Christ, Christ alone, that you can have salvation. And that's one of the things that they said. Also, they said scripture alone. It's only the Bible that is authoritative, right? So it's Christ alone, it's scripture alone, it's also grace alone. It's the grace of God that allows him to do what he did in the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. It was faith alone. We are saved through faith. It's not through works. You can't do enough to earn salvation, but through the mercy and the joy of Jesus Christ. He said, you know what? You can place your faith in me and come to know Christ. But it was also to the glory of God alone. To the glory of God alone. The goal of all of life is to give glory to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whether you're eating or drinking, do all to the glory of God. And so it's, it's really cool that here's a passage that's saying, you know what, it's through Christ alone. 
And Peter's communicating this message, and he's not backing down from it at all. In fact, here's one of the things I love, and this is an operating principle for me in my own life. In verse 12, we find this very thing. In verse 12, this is what we begin to read. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Followers of Jesus direct their words toward eternal conversations. How many times have we spoken about it? Even here I've asked, how many of your conversations in the last week had eternal ramifications? How many of your conversations in the last week? Because here's a guy, Peter got it, man. Like, he didn't have any time to waste. There's no way that you're going like, to encounter Peter and he's going to start going, man, it's nice outside, isn't it? The weather's amazing, but you never know how it's going to change by tomorrow. Like, he didn't have time for that. I'm not saying small talk is bad. But what I am saying is, and Peter got it. He's like, man, it's through Christ alone. And if it's through Christ alone, I better let people know it's through Christ alone. And he just started sharing, man. He, he wanted to have conversations with eternal impact, with, with eternal consequence. And people want to know. They'll surprise you. Those surprise, they want to know. Well, these individuals, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. They saw that, I love this, that they were uneducated, common men, and they were astonished. They recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They couldn't deny the power of God. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? Why? Because a notable sign has been performed through them, and it's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem that we can't deny it. But let's warn them, in order that the message will be spread no more, let's warn them. To speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them together and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And here's a response of Peter and John. You can already imagine how Peter and John absorbed that one. They looked at them and said, hey, listen up. Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you can judge that for yourself. But we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go because they could find no way to punish them. I love this. It says in verse 18 again, it says, So they called them in and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing you've got to recognize is that followers of Jesus take their charge from Jesus. 
Like I remember when I was being ordained as a minister and all of a sudden the church, they, they gave a charge. And that's what we do when someone is ordained as a minister of the gospel. They're given a charge by someone who has mentored them and shaped them and guided them in their principles and in their values and in their passions. And that's exactly what happened. And someone gave a charge of calling out scripture to say, this is who you are to be. You're not to deny that. You're not to abandon that. You're not to get distracted. You're not to become annoyed with anything else. You're simply to run toward the truth of Jesus, proclaiming that at all times, no matter what the world, society, or anyone else may speak about. It was a charge. It was like a mandate. This is what your life is now about. It's that significant, right? For some of us, maybe we would compare that to the time that we got married, and we're going, okay, yeah, that was a charge. Like whenever I know I officiate a wedding, I want to say this is what God, this is what Christ expects of you. This is what God is wanting for you. And you have to run toward that. It's a charge that you give. Here's what we learn is that followers of Jesus take their charge from Jesus alone and nothing else. What's what's God charging you with right now? Like, what's God charging you with right now? Like, what's God speaking into your life saying, this is what you are to be about right here? What's he charging you with? For some of you, I can't, I probably speak about this every week. I can't help it because I think it's that instrumental in faith. Some of you uh, fathers and husbands, he's charging you to pray over your kids or your wife. He's saying, you better do, you got to do this. And he's giving you that charge to make it happen. And that's why we need, so we need men to stand up to the charge that they've received from Jesus. Maybe he's, he's giving you the charge of sharing with your neighbor. Guys, again, the easiest way to share your faith, I want to ask two questions. The easiest thing, hey, how can I be praying for you right now? All right, I'm just going to keep saying this because it's so easy. You can do it with anybody. Hey, how can I be praying for you right now? I've never been told, even when I've asked people who I know are atheists, I've never been told, please don't pray for me. Because what you discover, even the atheists, just in case, they'll take it. So, hey, how can I pray for you? You say, hey, can I tell you what God's doing in my life right now? It's amazing. You tell him what God's doing in your own life? And you say, hey, how about you? What's he doing in your life? And you just have healthy, it's easy. It's that simple. It is that easy, guys. And maybe God is giving you the charge of sharing with your neighbor. Maybe God is giving you the charge of being faithful in your stewardship, in your finances, because you've never been. Maybe God is giving you the charge of being able to be a greater influence in your place of employment. I'm trying to lead everybody here to Jesus, don't worry. Right? Shouldn't that be all of our attitudes? I mean, I've got an advantage on that, right? You don't get hired here if you don't believe in Jesus. But shouldn't that really be what we're about? We want to make sure that we're letting everybody know about Jesus. That's the charge. What, 
How is God charging you? Peter, man, he heard the voice of God. He encountered God. And because of that, man, he was faithful. And he understood that when you started to, when, when, when you would begin at the very beginning, I even told you, when you began to fail to acknowledge your own brokenness and your own conviction and your own sin, what you're doing is you're losing the beauty of the message and the life of Jesus. And he would never surrender that. He would never surrender that. How is God charging you right now? What does that look like? And hear me say this. Whatever, if it's from God, whatever God is charging you with, as a body of believers, we're here to pray for you and to help you. You just got to let us know. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for how beautiful you are and the amazing example that you set in the early church with this amazing movement in which people were so faithful. They were so committed to speaking about you. They were faithful to knowing what you were requesting, what you were charging them with, and then they lived it out. They did it. They, they never sacrificed it. They hung on to it for dear life. God, may these friends of mine know what it is to hold on to you for dear life. Because you're the only way. You're the only way. May we hold on to you. <coughs> In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand and sing together.